Blog Talk Radio. Hi, welcome to Teach Me to Talk with Laura and Kate. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist. And I'm Kate Hensler, developmental interventionist. How are you tonight, Miss Laura? I'm great. How are you? I'm pretty good. This is our first show in three weeks. We've been missing in action. <laughs> too We've darn hiatus. Also known as too darn busy. <laughs> I know. I was just thinking about that. If it had been three weeks, or I guess we missed two shows, so it does make right. three weeks. Two weeks ago, I was doing last-minute things for my very first clients that were coming in from out of state, and they were coming in the next morning. And so I was finishing up, probably still painting uh, at about this time. <laughs> and probably. then Probably. And then the last Sunday, we were finishing up our first comprehensive evaluation together, and we smushed that three-day thing into two days. So we did day one in the morning and day two in the afternoon, and it was just going to be really hard to do the podcast. So we canceled again. And I hate it when we do that, but I really don't think we had much of of another choice. Right. When hopefully we'll be a little bit back to normal and be able to be pretty consistent now. But you did have some big events in your place, your, what do you call it, office? Is that? Uh, Sometimes I say office, sometimes I say clinic, sometimes I say work. You know, I don't know. (laughs) It's uh, maybe clinic works because it's not, I mean, it's partly office, but not just office. Well, it is partly office. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, we see clients downstairs, but then we have our dot-com business upstairs, which has been awesome, and Johnny did such a great job. Uh, he really is my hero all the time and really pulled it off with getting all of that ready and pulling it all together, and I'm really excited about it, and it's really cute. And over the next several weeks, I did a therapy tip of the week last week and showed part of that. So my plan is for therapy tip of the week to have it in a different part of you know, a different place, a different little corner, a different wall, so I can share how cute it is because I, I think it's it turned out just what I wanted, and I'm so thankful and grateful for that. And so um, that'll be exciting. So our podcast listeners who listen to us talk about this for a month now or six weeks maybe by this time can uh, see how it turned out and all of that. So I'm excited about it. And I've had three it great families. It's really, really in. nice. Oh, thank you. And you're kind of a. Well, I didn't get to properly rant and rave when I came because <laughs> when I came was right when our um, family was showing up, and it was like, right. <gasps> and I didn't want to walk in and go, "Oh my God, this is awesome!" So she would know that I hadn't been there yet. So <laughs> I, I just kind of casually said, "Oh, this looks great." But uh, really, and then I went home and ran and didn't rave to my family about, Laura's place is really good. They did a great, you did. It really looks great. So. Thank you. Well, Johnny was the driving force behind all of that, and he he did such a good job and had such great ideas. And I'm just really, really pleased with how it turned out. So we'll be sharing that over the next few weeks with Therapy Tip of the Week. And I meant to get one going this week with that, but, boy, we've had a week with, you know, mm, it's it's. Maybe things will slow down and we can, again, have some normalcy and get some of our regular routines going again. But I'm glad we're back on the podcast, back on the show, and 
people have emailed me and said, you know, miss the show or, you know, ask a question. <laughs> so that's kind of funny when that happens. Um, so we are back. And tonight we're talking about meeting a kid where he is. Now, boy, we say that phrase a lot, don't we? We do. I think, though, I don't know, and I think sometimes we explain it in context, but I don't know that we've ever had a big show about meeting a kid where he is. And I have, in the last, let's see, two out of the three families that I've seen in the last, new families and not my local kids, in the last couple of weeks, I've used that term, and one of the moms, and it wasn't the mom that you saw me with, Kate, but said, you know, kind of looked puzzled, and I could tell she was thinking, what exactly do you mean by that? (laughs) So we're going to talk about what that means, and first I'm just going to go on my little diatribe and talk about it, and then we're going to give some really common scenarios where we see this in therapy a lot. And I would say if I had to globally pick one thing where a therapist who are not as good as they could be and they're not seeing the kind of progress that they need to see with children on their caseload or as, you know, and I'm wording it very delicately, Kate, you would probably say with therapists who... No way am I walking into that one. Why do I get to carry the the burden of being the nasty one? (laughs) Who don't know what they're doing, who aren't any good. What do you want me to say there, Laura? I don't know. I'm just teasing you. So, but seriously, when I have the northerner in me will blurt it out. You know that. But when I have been the second or the third or the fourth speech pathologist, or especially now where we're really the second opinion or third opinion or, you know, they're coming in for a really honestly tell me your gut instinct about my kid here. We've already seen other people. That's the one big global mistake that I think that therapists make. And if therapists make it, certainly parents are going to make it. And so we're going to talk about not meeting a kid where he is and how that looks and what your struggles are going to be. Uh, You have to start, though, where a kid is currently functioning. Number one, and you say this all the time, Kate, is so that the kid can get some success and can feel good about it and can like you so that you're not asking him to do impossible things on that, you know, in that first five or ten minutes that you're meeting him, you, I think we have to work hard as early interventionists to establish a good, good relationship with our little clients. And even in states where therapists are really pushed to do more of a consultative model and not to do a lot of direct treatment, still that first meeting is critical so that you get off on a good start. And no better way to get on a good, have a good start with a family is to have their, you know, the best way to do it is to have their kid like you and for it to go well and for him to, you know, as we say, get those twinkly eyes and really light up. And you can't do that when you're starting at a place that's way, 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 way above where a kid is functioning developmentally. And I think a lot of therapists don't think about that. One other thing that therapists say is, well, I can't work on anything that I've, you know, and this is, again, is in states that are so heavily dependent on those IFSPs where families have generated their own outcomes. And a lot of times therapists will say to me in conferences or will write me and say, well, I can't work on, you know, you talk about the social skill stuff and you talk about that receptive language stuff, but mom and dad want him to talk, so I have to work on talking. 
and I just think, oh boy, have I got a long, I've got a lot to teach you <laughs> because you're not even close to where you should be with that kid. And so again, when we start at a point that's well above where the kid should be, when it's really his long-term goal or really the final outcome that we want to have in a six-month period, when we start with therapy there with most of the kids on our early intervention caseloads, we're really starting well, well, well above where they're currently functioning. And that too is because of to qualify for early intervention you have to have a pretty significant delay in most states now a long time ago we used to get to see kids with pretty mild delays i really haven't seen a first steps kid with a mild delay in a long time how about you no i mean it's usually pretty significant depending i mean I, to me my my least delayed kids are those kids that I see for speech, which right. you know, I do on occasion, right. uh, quite yeah. quite frequently anymore. But those kids, because their cognitive skills are pretty good, their social skills right. are pretty good, their play is pretty good. So by my standards, those kids look really great, even if they don't have a word to their name. You know what I sure. mean? Just because everything else is clicking right along, and that means it's a different right. ball game working with and them. I- yeah, and I get that, and I recognize that. But if you have a 26, 29, 30-monther who only has a couple of words, that's pretty darn delayed. It's a big delay, but compared yeah. to that plus right. Right. cognitive skills, sure. skills, oh, yeah. skills, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. well, at least it's really just talking. And, right. you know, as we talk about a lot so often, our families think it's just talking even when it's, um, lots of other d- developmental right. areas, right. but then occasionally it really is just talking. Yeah, and those occasionally kids are, it is. Right. You know what I call those kids, don't you? A gift. A praxic? <laughs> <laughs> and a praxic gift, yeah. And I had a little guy like that who actually is a local kid who didn't even qualify for our state program here in Kentucky because he was too high-functioning according to that ages and stages questionnaire. And so he, his mom didn't even get past the phone call because he is mm-hmm. trying to talk, and she, but everything is so off-target. But she couldn't really say that he's not trying to use some phrases because he is. And so she, you know, she said to me, I didn't want to lie. I didn't want to really misrepresent what he can do. And then the evaluator get here and then think, you know, wow, I came all the way out here for this. Uh, so I understood her dilemma. But you, you, what we're really talking about tonight are those kids that you're not um, – always able to start right in at that first word level. Usually we're going to have some background to cover, some gaps to fill in, some skills to shore up, and that's why with a lot of our kids it looks like progress is taking forever because you're not really cognizant of all those little prerequisites that the kid may be trying to put in place even without your help. And, boy, isn't that embarrassing when that's happened and you realize, oh, my goodness, he probably didn't understand very much when we started. Hmm, look at this. Now he's following directions. I just thought he was a bad kid. I just thought he wasn't wouldn't listen. When voila, now he's doing some stuff because he understands it. Or like that little guy that you always talk to me about that we served on a team with a while ago who was really, really um, in kind of that 
moderate to severe range on the spectrum, and we started realizing that his receptive language was really coming along, and nobody, and we were both replacement therapists, I think, weren't we? Had you been on his team very long? I mean, you were on his team before no. me, but he had had some other folks work with him right. who nobody mentioned <laughs> what he could do receptively. And when we started figuring that out, oh, boy, you know, he really made good progress because we met him where he was. We figured out, you know, we figured out where he was, and we got there and got him engaged in something he could do. And so, again, I want to make sure that we're talking about what this means and how to apply that principle of meeting a kid where he is through lots of different uh, scenarios. So did you get the little outline I sent you about that? Did you have a chance to look at uh, that on email? I didn't send it till 3.30. I'm guessing no. The note? Or the maybe call. I didn't see yeah. I saw the note that you had communicated with the therapist about Oh, there was another one after that where it's really like a little outline where where the scenarios are listed that we're going to talk about. But I didn't know if if I've got that to you in time. But anyway, the first one is, and we've already kind of talked about it, the kid is, let's talk about this one first because, boy, do we see it. The kid is pretty much nonverbal. There may not be any vocalizations or any true consistent word attempts that he's doing. Sometimes he may be just totally quiet and yet the speech pathologist lets the mom write a goal like Joshua will say 50 words <laughs> in the next six months. And again, she's going in there and she's really not working on what I think his first goal would be. And of course, for with every kid, we're going to look at how social he is and his receptive language. But if it was truly just an expressive language kid, we're probably going to have to get him noisier before we start. Now, not that we're not going to cue those signs and words. We are. But we're going to tell mom, look, (laughs) this may take a little while because he is still pretty darn quiet. And, again, we're not talking about those exception kids that they're practicing and they have never said anything, but we do the right stuff and we elicit, you know, 25 new words before we leave that day. I mean, that does happen. And, again, boy, is that a gift. But we're talking about just in general, where haven't you seen that goal written for a lot of kids who were light years away from talking, yet that's the goal written on the IFSP, yeah. And so when we do that, we put so much pressure and so much focus on where it shouldn't be yet, when really to meet him where he is, we just want him interacting with us. We want him to make some noise. We want him to laugh. We want him to play a little game where we might be growling back and forth or anything like that so that we can see, uh, one, does he have the ability to vocalize, and two, can he do it on, on his own volition? Can he make himself produce a sound because lots of our little praxic friends cannot do that and we have to spend a fair amount of time in the beginning of therapy just getting them used to man i have a voice and i can do something with it have you had experience with that i certainly have and, and a lot of times what happens there too a kid might uh, a little bit better than this a kid might have maybe you know, two words. He can say bye-bye and he can say dada. So, of course, mom then wants him to say bye-bye, dada. And that is so much harder than inconsistently 
only being able to pop out bye-bye or da-da. And it's even worse if the kid's just babbling da-da-da-da-da, and he doesn't even really mean da-da yet. You know, there's been no real consideration for if he even is using that word meaningfully and linking da-da to his dad. So we, if we're to meet a kid developmentally, we're going to figure out, even if he's, you know, nonverbal, even if mom and dad's overall goal to talk is to talk, we have to figure out what part of the step, what part of the steps is he, you know, what level is he in? Where is he vocally? What can he do? And meet him there so that he um, is successful. And this happens a lot. Don't you get a lot of kids on your caseload, Kate, who might maybe have a, you know, you'll ask mom, well, does he ever use anything like a word? And she might say, well, he has a car noise, and sometimes he tries to say quack. And sometimes after he drinks, he'll try to burp or do a <sighs> like his brothers or sisters. And so a lot of therapists just go, oh, my gosh, he's ready. He's ready to talk. Let's go straight to words without really focusing on those levels where he's vocalizing an imitation of you with some of those little play sounds, with those animal noises, and with all of those little in-between words, and we call those exclamatory words. And so it's so much better to look at those little levels and build the kids' skills up there instead of thinking we have to get, you know, milk and cookie and while those would be early targets for signs and words still we want to back off a little bit and make sure that they are filling in and learn really learning to imitate learning to vocalize on requests so that would be one instance with expressive language where we go straight to words or phrases without any regard for all the little steps that come first and without any regard for how vocal a kid is um, or any of those other prerequisites. And, and again, I think that happens a lot, don't you? I certainly do, and I'm sure I've been guilty of it myself yeah. over the years. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I was going to mention the children that, you know, <laughs> 15 years ago that I might have just sat there when a mom said that and not said, whoa, let's talk about this for a minute. And now I really don't do that. I really jump in right away and say to mom, you know, and there's so many foundational skills that we have to fill in. That's great. Talking is our long-term goal, but we have a whole lot of ground to cover before that's really going to happen. And parents then, when you say it like that, then they're not thinking, and we've used this example a lot, you know, that you're going to pull out your magic speech therapy wand or they're going to go in the kitchen, and when they come back, their kid's going to be talking. (laughs) You know, they give you some credit for how hard that task might be, not only for you but but for the kid. And I think it's... um so common. I mean, it's definitely the rule and not the exception that people tend to think of talking as this very isolated skill and that right. all these other things really aren't necessarily as related, you know, right. really have to precede talking. Right. And it's really only fair to go in talking about that so that they understand this yeah. is not a quick fix and to right. the extent you can encourage them to get on board with the theory and the practice it's only going to help because then they're also targeting the prerequisite skills and not getting stuck on, say ball, say ball, say ball. Right. (laughs) No. And sometimes I just want to get in between a mom and a kid when they're doing that and say, hey, what if he could? He's not there yet. He can't. He can't do it yet. 
you know, but I try to be a little more diplomatic than that. Uh, But I do think it makes so much more sense to a parent, too, because, you know, we've got to share our knowledge base and share what we know about typical developmental sequence. And we have to also share that late talkers tend to stay in these phases a lot longer. And while with a typically developing kid, all of this might just kind of come together seamlessly, but we know there are issues with our kids with developmental delays, whether, you know, talking is their only issue or whether there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. We know that um, that system is disrupted. And so to even stay in these little phases longer is usually um, what's expected with our little friends who are late talkers, um, and especially if they have more global delays. So... We have to figure out where a kid is verbally and truly if expressive language is his only goal or his only issue. And if it's not, then we better be talking, talking, talking to parents or whoever happened to be with the kid at the visit about all the things that have to come first. And I like the way you said it. It's really not fair to a parent if we don't share that so that they understand the enormity of the challenge that that their um, child is facing with learning to talk, because a lot of times they do think it's going to be pretty simple. I don't know if you've ever had anybody ask you this, but a lot of times for speech pathologists, they'll say, "How long? How long is it going to take till he's talking? How, how many? How many times are you going to come? You know, five, ten? Wh- what's it going to be?" And mm-hmm. they don't get. It might be a year, and then guess what? You're going to see somebody after me. So we have to really, really talk about that and explain it so that they get it. And as I was talking, then I was talking about levels, and that is just from my book that was just published in May, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, and it is selling like gangbusters. (laughs) And if you are listening and have not gotten your copy, please do, uh, because it really outlines all of those prerequisites and all of the uh, tiny developmental steps that a kid needs to go through. And we did a series of shows about that back in May and April, I think. And so um, you can take a listen to that if you've not listened to those podcasts because I do think it's um, I've gotten such good feedback from therapists. And you who have really heard from on this book are therapists who also have late talkers. Boy, does it become uh, do you are your you know your feet to the fire when it's your own kid who's not talking. So um, again, I wanted to get my little shameless plug in for that book um, and how what great information we have in there. So that was our first scenario, Kate. Anything else you want to say about that before we move on to the second one? Well, since I don't know what the second one is, I shouldn't probably say it, but I will say, and you kind of alluded to this, um, and I don't see, I don't, probably shouldn't say it because I don't want people thinking, oh, that's probably what's going on with the kid I'm seeing. But conversely, occasionally, I will see a therapist um, set the expectations way too low for kids. Yeah, and sometimes Um, that does happen, yeah. Yeah, and usually, no, almost always it's kids who have some fairly significant social issues and they don't really connect with them, and they're trying to encourage them to do something that's very repetitive and, frankly, boring, not really Like put the rings on the post, yeah. Exactly, (laughs) 
that Stacked sort of, it, uh, and yeah, <laughs> and I'll even be even worse. A lot of times it is OTs who do this. You know what I mean? It's like you're going to yeah. perform this. You're going to stack blocks for an hour, and the kid doesn't like it for an hour. Well, sometimes the kid is really beyond, well beyond right. where they think they are, and if if they had figured that out going into it or early on, they would not have even asked a kid doing as well as this kid may be doing cognitively to engage in that sort of, I mean, I wouldn't ask any kid to do that for an hour. I'd be I know. Bored, you know. <laughs> Me too. It's a little bit ridiculous. And so, but, you know, the great OTs, though, work that in to other things that they're doing, um, and it's not ever a big deal. And they see a kid do it, and they think, oh, boy, he's got that. He's really close to mastery. I'm turning that over to mom. She can get him to do that while they you know, come up with some, make it a little bit more fun or more challenging for the kid, and then they, she moves right on. But that's what we mean still about meeting a kid where he is. You have to know where he is. And if he's right. above where you're trying to work, boy, you're going to lose him too because he's thinking, I'm not putting up with this baby stuff that you're trying to get me to do. You know, no, I'm not sitting here for that when I have my cool Thomas table over there with 25 trains and a tunnel and lights and smoke, you know, or whatever happens to be on there, they're just not going to be able to stand sitting through that. So that's a really good point. But it still fits in with what we're talking about. You have to know what a kid can and can't do before you, um, you know, so that you're not, so that you're meeting him where he is and you're not working too high or too low with the kid. All right, let's move on to the next one. The next scenario is about introducing signs to kids. And let me just say, if you have children on your caseload that you have been working on the sign for more, for four or five months, and they still don't have it, the problem is not the kid. The problem is you. <laughs> because if a kid has the prerequisite skills, meaning that he's done some of these gestures that we're going to talk about, and meaning that he understands and that you've picked something that's really motivating, he would have stumbled upon it and done it in that four to five months. And boy, do we see that happen a lot, don't you think? Yes. And so let's talk about those prerequisite skills. And I think you go, you use this pretty much all the time when you see new families that you're talking about uh, introducing signs to. And we always ask if a kid has some really early gestures. And the ones I always use are reaching purposefully, clapping with you, waving bye-bye, and maybe pointing. But pointing is not always... Uh, a deal breaker for me. Are those the ones that you used to? I don't ever really articulate reaching uh, for things, even though. Do you know why I say I mean, reaching? Because that's communicative intent. Because don't you have some kids that it doesn't matter what you have, they don't give a flip about it. I mean, they don't really oh, yeah. care. They're so self-absorbed that unless they already have it kind of in their little possession. I mean, it's, and boy, and it's, and these are always kids with pretty significant cognitive delays because even our kids who are pretty self-isolating who have fewer cognitive challenges are reaching and are trying to get things and are, you know, trying to rip something out of your hand so that they can play with it. But uh, we do have some kids that, really low-functioning kids sometimes, that 
that we see that aren't reaching at all, and they're not putting their hands together at midline to hold a block or a rattle, and yet we're working on the sign for more. <laughs> and that's crazy. That's crazy talk, don't you think? <laughs> yep. I'd have to say we're missing the boat on that one. <laughs> yeah, and that happens a lot. And I've seen PTs and OTs miss that, too. And I've co-treated with them, and I've said things like, wow, um, are you working on bringing hands to midline? Can he do that yet? And they'll say, oh, gosh, we have worked and worked on that. But, you know, mm, we're still not there yet. And I'll say, well, then we are not ready to sign more. You can cue it all day long. You can tell mom to model it all day long. But until kids can really, you know, and clapping again, I think is just the best prerequisite for signing more because if they can't get their little hands there repetitively, you are not going to see those fingers go together for that sign. I mean, it has to, clapping, I think, has to become pretty um, consistent before we would see that. And so we have to make sure that we're addressing that with parents. And so we're talking about those kinds of things. And we say the one is the motor piece. You want a kid to be able to do some things with his hands. And again, sometimes they'll have children that are so, their their muscle tone is so either way too low or way too high, and it's still not under their full control yet. So there's they have lots and lots of physical issues to overcome before signing is a really realistic goal for those kids. I haven't seen a kid like that in a long time. Have you? No, I yeah. haven't. I don't tend to get kids that are that in, involved motorically. Yeah, and they may just be having PT and OT and not having a DI on their team yet. Right. When they're at that phase. Uh, right. But we have to really talk about that. And sometimes we'll see kids on the spectrum that just motor-wise, they're running, you know, they're fast, but yet still not really doing you know, clapping and waving and those kinds of things. And so we would work on those goals as prerequisites and talk to moms and dads about how important those things are. The other thing beyond the motoric part is that those things really are symbolic. They mean something. Clapping always means for us, yay, like I did it or you did it. Aren't I good? (laughs) Yeah. It's our little praise thing. The little guy that we saw last weekend, he was a clapper. He he would look at you and then me and then his mom to make sure we were all clapping. Uh, that's darling. I love that. I always think that's the mark of a kid that's been in therapy a long time, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> but you've got to you've got to really again meet a kid where he is developmentally. So if you're talking about introducing signs with a family, you want to be sure that those skills are present before signing is realistic. Uh, and and that again, that's not to say that you're not going to model it and cue it and pray that it comes together. But if you're not seeing a ton of that, then you know you've got some work to do before signing is realistic. If you are seeing it though, you need to push it and go ahead and make that leap and explain to parents. Uh, yeah, he's got the motor skills because he can do this and he can do this and he can do this. Now, sometimes we have kids that still don't put it together receptive language-wise. And so for those kids, I always think, okay, he's learned to clap with yay because he's heard it, you know, 5,000 times. So the sign that we're teaching, we just have to make that so fun and so exciting and so, you know, taught 
that he finally gets that piece too and really learns, oh, I hear the word more and I put my fingers together uh, right in the middle of my chest or belly. And so we have to, again, do some linking and do some receptive language work too for some of our kids that they are doing those gestures but it's not meaningful enough for them yet. You had a really good success with a little guy we saw last weekend. They've been working on the sign for more forever. And Miss Kate Hensler got that, didn't you? Well, actually, I do think they backed off some because um, remember she was saying that she felt like he was uh, very frustrated. And right. then I looked at the video and I kind of had a different inter- it's so interesting to hear everybody's different interpretation of the same behavior I know. but yeah my interpretation of the behavior wasn't that he was he was frustrated because she was using food and he wanted the food i didn't feel right. as though he was frustrated by the fact that she was trying to get him to sign but right. really just frustrated by the fact that she was holding a spoonful of food and he wanted it and would and not she was, yeah yeah it would she not was get trying it to yeah Right, he didn't get it, so he was frustrated. So anyway, yes, um, but you know, I mean, I was thrilled to get it, and it was a novel thing for him to do, and um, he did it a number of times, and it was wonderful, but you and I both had talked about, well, we really think he should be pretty close, and the reason we thought he should be pretty close is because when you looked at those other contributing factors or prerequisite skills, although they weren't all solid, they were all kind of emerging, coming along. Right. He had right. some of the prerequisite stuff. It was like mm-hmm. he should be right for the pickings here, you know. Right, right. Let's see. I felt it, like, it, though, his receptive stuff, that he might still not quite be linking, oh, when I put my fingers together, that means that. But then he went and tried to imitate the word a couple of times. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And so that then that made me think, okay, I'm not giving him quite enough credit here. He's moving along with that. It would be interesting to see what his mom was able to get. If you're listening, Mom, call us. I'm dying to know. If she uh, was able to get that this week, it, you know, either by herself. I think they were still on vacation. I think they're still um, traveling. They won't be back officially home until tomorrow, or maybe they're home today. But... Um, you know, he would have missed therapy this week. So it'll be interesting to hear if his regular therapists are able to elicit that or if mom is or kind of how long it takes for that to be consistent. Because, you know, we both said, oh, he was precious and we would just love to work with him every week, but he lives far, far away. So that's not going to happen. But he was was really cute. And he, he does have those things those prerequisites really, really emerging. So we met him where he was developmentally. His mom has worked on, you know, high five with him and for a gesture because he wouldn't really wave bye-bye consistently. He had that skill and then it kind of went away. And so she got high fives in place of that. And it was interesting to me that she could say to him, tell her bye-bye, and he immediately reached out for high fives. So for him, that had really become what he did you know that was his routine but he was right there and even though he was tired and crying and I thought had just had it you started swinging him in a blanket and boy did he like that are you that not was the ticket. <laughs> that was the ticket for him on that day yes 
And that's the other thing is you met him where he was developmentally, meaning he was so exhausted and so uh, his sensory needs really needed to be met at that point. So while I was finishing up with the mom and talking, talking, talking like I do, you went over and started doing that, and you met him where he was. He needed a way to calm down and to regulate, and so you did our old swing a kid in a blanket trick, and we can do it with one person, but, boy, it's easier on the old shoulder and back. Um, I have that bum shoulder. When there are two people doing it versus one, but it can be done with one, and so you just picked him up. You held the top two corners in one hand and the bottom two corners of the blanket in the other hand and just rocked him back and forth. And he was a kid that we had tried a lot of other things. And by tried, I just mean modeled it a few times and introduced it. We didn't really sit and work on it for any amount of time. But he loved that with you rocking him, swinging him in the blanket. And so you just started thinking, hmm, do you want to tell your own story here or do you want me to do it? Well, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I, it was near the end of a long day um, and I was really just swinging him to see if I could help calm him down because he was overstimulated and tired and frustrated and you were talking to the mom, so I thought, well, I can at least swing him in a blanket, and I did. Uh, and he clearly, boy, his eyes were twinkling and he was smiling and he was making great eye contact. And then, um, you know, I realized, oh, boy, he doesn't just like this. He loves this, which right. I don't know. Mom didn't indicate that people had done that with him. I think yeah. that would be surprising, but uh, maybe that's the case. That's, that's certainly a great trick that a lot of OTs will use, and mm-hmm. I am not shy about using it when necessary. So he did loved it, and only because he gave me the uh necessary information to for me to understand he loved it did i even think i'm going to try more frankly had he not twinkled and made great eye contact and smiled he was also when i stopped he reached for the blanket i said i think that more is a great one to do with kids who love blankets because they're they're kind of bringing their hands together at midline naturally (laughs) because they're grabbing the blanket to close it back up over them you know as if to say hey lady keep swinging you know right (laughs) So I took that, he's getting those hands together for midline anyway, and he was a little bit frustrated, but not bad. I mean, I didn't feel, I will push a kid past comfort, but not so much that, you know, I feel like it's just unreasonable. And he was, you know, just fussing a tiny bit, and it's like, okay, well, you seem to be okay. And, you know, probably tried it three or four or five times, and by gummy did it you know, finally yeah. after some encouragement. Mm-hmm. And the other thing was when he didn't do it, I did hand over hand, which I don't think Mom had been doing with him. I think she just waited for him to imitate it. And right. for kids right. with motor planning problems, you've got to get in there and give them some assistance because they just exactly. don't have the motor plan to do it, you know. Right. So you could model it all day long, but in the beginning they need some help to, to complete the skill or task, the so piece, I did that yeah. a couple of number of times and then waited and he did it on his own. So I know, and it was a moment. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the other thing with kids with motor planning issues, a lot of kids 
let me say this, and then I'm going to have to clarify it a little bit because there there's some other things going on with this. But a lot of times kids with motor planning issues will just kind of hold out their hands for you to do it. Now, you can't let a kid get overly dependent on that, and we talk to mom a lot about that, about, you know, once you've seen him do it, you know, you can still do some hand over hand, but you know that he has the capability, and we're still going to use our, you know, Rules for withholding and rules for modeling. We're still going to give that three to five time prompts. We're not going to, you know, say 72 times, you know, tell me more. I'm not going to swing you in this blanket. You know, we're not going to do anything crazy like that. But we are going to wait him out just a little bit because kids with those motor planning issues and a lot of times kids with processing issues need that extra time to be able to pull it all together and we jump in and, and do it for them when if we had just waited a little bit, they might have been able to do it on their own. And so you have to really find that balance. And you you can't let a kid become so overly dependent on your help. When he's, hand, when he's holding out his hands like that, you have to think, okay, he obviously needs my help. But once you've seen him do it on his own several times, you need to resist the urge to help him every single time. And, boy, we therapists a lot, some of us aren't. Some of us are very strict and rigid. But a lot of us are bleeding hearts, and we love, love, love our little babies. And so we're going to help them almost too much. And that happens a lot with moms. Don't you think a mom might be giving hand-over-hand assistance for two months? And then I realize, you know, good grief, what are you doing? He signs this for me. by himself why are you doing that and it's just because he's trained mom pretty well and she's trained him pretty well hold out your hands and i'll do it for you i'll move your little hands so you have to that's kind of a balance you have to figure out exactly why a kid's doing that and when it's when he's mastered it and when he's done it well enough on his own that you don't really need to jump right in with that hand-over-hand assistance. But in the beginning, you really do to get it established. You need to help a lot. And a lot of times what I'll do is just kind of reach for their hands and maybe not even take their hands, kind of do it with their arms or even their little elbows. Yeah. I think that's really better. It kind of gets them going, but it doesn't do a full assist. They are... They are part yeah. of the process. Yeah. But, um, you know, this little guy, I don't remember how many times it was exactly, Laura, but probably four or five times, enough uh-huh. where I was working up a little sweat already trying to yeah. switch the blanket. Like <laughs> At the end and of that And you turned day. off yeah. the air because Johnny was filming, so it was getting a little <laughs> warm in there, and I'm not getting any younger, so I was trying to huff and puff my way through it, but wasn't really that many times that I had to give them hand over hand, maybe four right. times. And then probably, you know, we all have our natural strengths and weaknesses and, and inclinations, and one of mine is to probably do too much hand over hand and also mm-hmm. to expect a, a speedy response. You know, yeah. if I can mm-hmm. sign it more, more, more real fast, by gum, why can't they? And, I, I mean, I think I've got him gotten better at this but it's not a natural thing for me to wait to just have that pregnant pause where you are you have Uh told them to tell you you have shown them what you expect them to do and then you wait and sometimes it seems like it's uncomfortable it's forever 
Yes, even though really it's not that long. I it's don't like know five why. seconds. I don't either, I know, but it's very comical. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're going, come on, come on, you know, just let's see it. But I have to tell myself consciously, wait, wait, right. wait. You know, I literally have to coach myself through it. And Me too. And so often when you do, they do it. And you I know, right at that last I'm second. going to help <laughs> Well, and I want most of my therapy sessions now are videoed, and a lot of times I'll go back just to watch when we really got something for the very first time. And when I'm watching it, I'm I'm remembering how antsy I was and how I just wanted to blurt out, you know, <laughs> more, you know, and help them when, but. On the surface, when you're looking at me, you can't really tell that that's how I felt, and that's a good thing. And then I'll think, gosh, that wasn't so bad. You know, I again, you feel like you're sweating. Internally, you feel like, come on already. But, it's very anxiety-producing. Yeah. And maybe I'm yeah. part, part praying, please, please do it. Please <laughs> let them do it. <laughs> yeah, that never hurts. Yeah. Please, let's get a success here. But yeah. so often, if you wait, and you know, for kids on the spectrum, Laura, that learned helplessness, I think, is uh, such yeah. a big issue Me that too. they get so complacent about just saying, it's hard for me. I mean, they don't say it literally, but right. their behavior would indicate that their thought process is, you, you can do that better than I can, that I'm just going to give you my hands and right. you that's the work big your hand magic theory. with it. Yeah, yeah. And they kids, do it with so many things, and right, so often toys, if, you'll put, if you just kind yeah. of back off and encourage them to try a little bit harder, a pretty high percentage of the time, by gum, they can do it. Yeah. But it's very easy to think, oh, he can't do it, I'll help. I'll, I, you know, And then you do it, and they don't get any better because they're not really doing it. Right, exactly. They haven't. Re- they have had no reason to really learn. You've done it for them mm-hmm. over and over and over. Yeah, and that's what they've learned. That's their part. I hold my hands up, and she does it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And to me, when they hold their hands up, it, it at least means they realize I expect them to do something. So that's right. partly. You know, it's, it's positive. Success. It's yeah, yes. it is In positive. In a way, it means you know. Well, I at the beginning, <laughs> at the beginning, and you you right. accept that at the beginning, and you help them. But I mean, I again, I can so clearly remember a family that. I had been getting more in sessions for, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks, and I realized that mom was still doing a ton of hand over hands, and I was like, what are you doing? (laughs) He can clearly do it. So uh, it it is funny sometimes how that happens. So watch for that and talk to moms about that to make sure that their expectations are realistic. If they still need help, give them help. But if they should hold back and wait a little bit, have them wait. But, again, that three- to five-time cue is such a good rule because you're never going to lose. You usually do not lose a kid if you're just prompting it three to five times. That is a short enough attention period that you're still keeping them with you, and you're not overly frustrating them. It's not enough because by that fifth time, you're just going to you know, give them hand over hand or change it to something that they can do that's easier or whatever. So, um, again, that three to five time 
withholding rule will, will, will really save you. And there's a big, big discussion about that. If you're listening or if you're a newer listener and haven't heard me talk about that, that's from Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual. And there are pages that explain why that rule works. And it's, uh, those, it's called the rules for withholding, so you're going to want to take a look at that. All right, so that's about signs. Let's get cracking here. I've got about three or four more little scenarios. I bet this is going to be a two-series uh, Aren't a two they all? Series. Okay. I know. <laughs> Let's try First to get the last one. You let me one. go on about a, a real life experience. You knew that was going to take a long time. <laughs> well, it was good, and I wanted to talk about it because I do think it's something that a lot of therapists don't try. A lot of times, we'll try toys or we'll try food, but we forget about a movement activity to elicit a new sign or word. And a lot of times for our kids, especially kids on the spectrum, they're such picky eaters that they could care less what food you offer, and they're not really well, Laura, into you that and many I toys. Try food. We try our junk food, but <laughs> I think a lot of therapists won't even do food because they think that's yeah. not right somehow. But or they'll me. have dried fruit or something that you go yuck. You know why would yeah. you, why would you give a kid that? You want some skills. You want some M and M. You want a Teddy Graham really? Oreo. I mean that's, that's the right, whole thing. Great. Good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and for that, kid, I don't know that work. I don't think yeah. he was particularly motivated about food from what mm-hmm. we saw anyway. Well, he was little, so he's not a right. yeah, he's not a big eater. I mean, he's tiny for his age, even though he was a preemie. So that size may have more to do with that. But food just wasn't it for him. Now, I have some kids when I'm introducing signs with food, and boy, we eat for a good forty-five or fifty minutes of the session, and that's okay. <laughs> At the beginning, because you're establishing that sign, and you can do, you know, you can start out with real generic ones, more and please or eat, and then, but you, after you get those, after a kid is, has some of those under his belt, you can start doing the specific name. You can sign candy, you can sign cookie, you can sign fish, you can sign cracker. So you can do a whole lot of stuff with food. And again, some moms kind of laugh, and I'll say, would you rather me come and play with toys and me get two signs in the whole hour, or would you rather sit here and blow through five or six times, five or six signs and have them sign it 20 times each? And they go, oh, yeah, I get your point. And it really mm-hmm. does establish that expectation of that response, and kids love it. I mean, I'm very motivated by food. Now, Miss Skinny Mini, uh, Kate Hensler may not be, but Now, me. if candy were on the list, <laughs> I would be pretty motivated. Or Coke. Those would be my Coke, two, yeah. Yeah. And don't tell it, not even work. I've used Coke in therapy before. Oh, <laughs> but no. I can't say that out loud. Yeah. I haven't <laughs> even done that, and I thought I'd broken all the rules, but apparently... I haven't well, thought of that one. You know what? And it's I'll just been it for kids. I know, but it's just been for kids whose moms drink it. I mean, it's not like I'm introducing that. Right. But, you know, when a mom right. is sitting there with a anyway. straw from a McDonald's, uh-huh. yeah, and right. the kid is clawing her to get the cup, you think, ding, 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 we have a winner. Let's use it. <laughs> this is This is our motivator here. I am not. This is not my first day to do this job. We're going to pick what he likes, and you're not allowed to tell anybody that we did it. But, you know, that's really motivating. So that's when you right. would want to do that. And motivation is, it really does help kids work harder and try harder, especially oh, when so it's important. so hard. Yeah. And so often overlooked, I think. I mean, I do too. you know, that people don't factor that in, whether it's, 
because they're too high above where a kid's functioning or too low below where a kid's functioning, but you've got right. to read their cues. You've got to know this he likes. With this kid, it wasn't too hard to tell. He liked a right. few toys, but mostly he liked the ball pit. He liked the right. slide. He was a mover. He liked right. movement. And I figured, well, I'll bet swinging in the blanket would be pretty cool for him. Exactly. And it was. So you. Yeah, and you recognized, even though you were doing it to help him calm down, when you started seeing his little face, and he's looking at you, and he's smiling, and he's looking like, oh, my God, this is the most fun part of the whole afternoon, it was easy <laughs> for you to think, this might work. And so we need right. to re- we need to meet kids where they are with motivation, too, and pick out what they really like. For some kids, you know, a mom might say, well, he really likes it every day when Dad comes home and slings him around. And then you think, oh, okay, here here we go, or he really likes jumping on the bed, or he really, you know, whatever. We had a mom, do you remember this early on in our show, in the podcast? It was like, oh, gosh, early. It's one of our first times that we ever got a letter from an email. I got an email from a mom, and she said that she, and we had done a series on signs and how to introduce signs. And so if you're a newer podcast listener, this was way back in 2008 or early 2009, because we started our show in August. never would have believed we'd still be talking about. That people listened, I know. Yeah, we thought my mother was our only listener. And so um, my mother and Bill, anyway, (laughs) Kate's husband, um, but she sent us that email that said, I listened to your show on signs and I heard that stuff about movement and I took my daughter to the swimming pool and she loved when I threw her up in the air and she splashed down in the water. And so as soon as she did it, I thought, oh, I should try to get her to sign. And she said she'd been working on signs for like four months, sign for more with her therapist. And then she didn't even have to help her daughter do it. She said, you have to tell Mama more. And she, you know, her wording was, before I even really got it out of my mouth, she was already signing that. And so, again, she found what really worked. And it um, it's huge for kids. But, and, but sometimes you have to really be a detective. And sometimes it's hard. Like, I was trying to get him to sign that same little guy we're talking about, sign more in the ball pit because he loved that game. But I didn't introduce the sign at the very beginning of the game. And so it was hard for me to link it in there. And, again, it was our first day to see him. I mean, in a few weeks, I'm sure that I could have helped him learn that part. But it's it's funny when you don't (laughs) – a lot of times with kids, when you don't have it kind of in the beginning, even before they're truly ready, if you're not even modeling it, you may not get it for a while because they, they don't think it's part of your routine. So you have to do a pretty good job with that, too. And that's I was really kind of – did you see me trying that? I think you were you were talking to the mom, and I was – you know, trying to expand that game in any way that I could, I w- we were we would look at each other through the clear plastic on the ball pit, and it's a really cool ball pit. It's uh, it's uh, from one step ahead, and it's only about a hundred bucks, and I think I've already got my money's worth. And then there's a door that's just a clear opening. So we were looking at each other, and I would bang my hands on the on the side and say the little boy's name three or four times, and then I would pop my head at the opening of the door and say, Ah. Oh! Well, he could growl, and he thought that was hysterical, and then we got some good back and forth with that. He was finally doing it with me, and his, ah, you know, would kind of turn into his belly laugh, but he thought that was so funny, but my problem was I didn't, I didn't have, I didn't do more fast enough. He would try to get back over to reinitiate the game, 
before I could really get him more. And then he he couldn't really see me through the plastic that I was doing that. You know, I was just having better luck banging my hands on um, the ball pit. So isn't it interesting what all you have to think about when you are <laughs> coming up with, okay, why won't this activity work? What about it is a barrier to get, you know, so that it's making it not um, easy for him to do? And the other thing is that was pretty early on in the session. You got that at the end after we kind of wore him down and knew him a little bit better. You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you have to really, really look for what's motivating for a kid, and it might be something that seems weird to you. Or, you know, and again, moms are a great source of asking and teasing out what might really, really work um, to motivate a kid. So it's worth your time to kind of talk through some of that and that might be a mom's homework for the week to figure out when he really lights up and what he really goes gaga for, and then you figure out how you're going to use that the next week to elicit a sign. But it's when you find the right stuff, it's easier than if you try, you know, 10 or 15 misses with something else. So movement is a big one that a lot of people forget about. And that swinging in a blanket, um, is, that's, that's a winner. That's a keeper. The other, uh, the next day on that kid, he was less easily engaged. I don't know if he was tired or uh, certainly we were tired, but <laughs> I think he was. He's been traveling with his mom. Sure, and it was a yeah. Big, you know, everything was new and novel and different. And they're different. on a time delay. I mean, they're a two-hour right. time it difference. Yeah. every factor you could think of to mess up a two-year-old, but... He did, in fact, yeah. sign more when he was playing with Cookie Monster the next mm-hmm. day, which he really liked the Cookie Monster game, too. Yeah, and I did the um, swinging in the blanket with him, but it, and he did a little bit, but he was kind of over that a little bit by the time that we did it, and it was toward the end. Remember, he was already glassy right. by then, and we weren't getting the big smiles and social responses that you had gotten the day before because he he was on hour six of Laura and Kate, and he was done. <laughs> <laughs> we were done with ourselves, let alone that poor yeah. little guy. He was really sick of us by yeah. then. yeah sick of the whole routine. I think he wanted to be with his grandmother, who reportedly adored him. I can't say I blamed him. Yeah, Yeah, me either, and he is a cute, cute kid. All right, so we're Mm -hmm. not going to start the next one. We'll just go ahead and and extrapolate this, what I thought would be hard to talk about for an hour, out (laughs) uh, to next week, too, and so we'll have some more scenarios about how we meet a kid where he is. We're going to talk about that with pictures. And we're going to talk about it with play. And then if we have time, we're going to talk about it with attention and with behavior. Ugh, the dreaded behavior. So um, we'll talk about those. Those are going to be the next ways that we're going to talk about meeting a kid where he is. And a lot of people, I think, are going to really, if they're not a longtime listener of the show, kind of scratch their head and maybe think, I've never thought about it quite that way. Um, and so I, I think it'll be a revelation for a lot of people. So that's I'm glad we already have our show topics for the next couple of weeks. That's whew, the pressure's off me. Yeah. <laughs> well, on a closing note, how would you say for for somebody listening, either a parent or a therapist who hasn't been at it 
um, quite as long as we have or whatever. Um, how would you say you feel is the best way? How do you know when you're working with a kid, okay, this is, uh, boy, I've got them with this activity. This he really likes, whether it be a social routine, whether it be playing with a toy, whether it be using a treat. What, what do you He's see not that running away. Think? He's not yeah. running away. His face. That's, that's a good start. <laughs> ding, 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 yeah. His, fa- he is, his attention is with you. I mean, you are not fighting him to stay with you. Sometimes, and we're going to talk about this, when we talk about participation and attention, sometimes you have to really physically help a kid stay with you. And I'm not meaning belt them in the high chair. I'm meaning the way that you physically use your body to make it more likely that he stays with you, uh, but you're not having to do any of that. He is looking at you, like you always say, he's twinkling, meaning that his little eyes are bright and they are lighting up, and you can tell the wheels are turning in that little brain. Usually a kid is smiling big. Now, sometimes kids can go over the edge, and then they start to kind of get overstimulated, and then they're fighting you for the toy, and that's when you know you've lost when it's a tantrum, anything that looks like a tantrum, you've gone beyond that. You've pushed them too far, too hard, or emotionally they're not mature enough for you to use withholding yet. And that happens with a lot of our kids on the spectrum. Haven't you seen that a lot? That just emotionally they fall apart before you even realize what's going on. And so you've got to catch them before that when they really like it, but they don't like it so much that they're willing, you know, to stab you for it or something, you know. <laughs> so that's what well, I and you do their response. They do on some level have to kind of recognize that this is a game you're playing. Right. You know right. what I mean? Yeah, and, exactly. And also that ultimately they are they going are to going win to the get game. It. Yes. Yes, they are going and to win the game by and by that I mean they're going to get what it is they want and that's the magic 3 to 5 times of withholding but for some kids in they the can't beginning make until it. yeah. Yeah. They one time is enough to have them yeah. completely melt down. And to me then you got to teach them the game first. You got Sure. And, and you have to make it really fun and when you're taking a turn or when you're getting it back, your your turn has to be about 2 seconds. And then they get it right back. And then you get it back again and your turn is three seconds. And then you're, you know, whatever you're prompting or, you know, cueing or whatever you're, if it's a sign for more, boy, you're doing hand over hand really quick to get so they can get it back. But if they're on the floor screaming, you've lost them. That's beyond that. And it's usually that you screwed up when you were initially introducing that activity and let them get too overstimulated and didn't teach them, you know, that part of the game is they have to do what you need them to do to get it back. And a lot of kids really emotionally aren't there yet, and you have to work with them over weeks, sometimes months, to get them before they really like it and can hang with you and can play and not fall apart. And I just I don't do those sessions where kids are crying the whole darn hour. That is that great that is my auditory processing uh stinger. <laughs> I cannot take kids crying. Oh, it makes me feel like you're running your fingernails down a chalkboard. So I don't have sessions like that because it one, it's really annoying to me. 
on a very on a very primal level. And two, a kid isn't learning anything. And so you want to be sure that those responses are there and that they really like it. And if a kid is blowing you off, guess what? He does not like the toy or you. So you've got to <laughs> change <laughs> both things. And the, your activity be fun, more fun, and you've got to be more fun. Or it could be that you're overstimulating him, and that happens sometimes. And, you know, I've scared kids before, and we've joked about that on this show a lot before. You know, you've got to find that middle ground where it's not too much, but it's enough to make them want to Usually not, though. I mean, I will yeah. say usually not. Normally right. it's that it's not enough. Even sometimes when kids have a lot of sensory issues, right. once they get it, they like the, they need right. the extra. And then you can always pull back. You can always right. pull it back, and so and and watch for a kid's signs. And after you've seen them for a while, you can tell, and you can say to yourself, "Whoa, back it up! You know, we've got to switch to something else. I need to bring this down a little bit." And sometimes you will you will see that happen, but it's just the fun of doing this job. And no two kids are exactly alike. I mean, once you learn the routines and kind of the magic and what works and what doesn't, yes, but that's the fun part about this is you're constantly a detective and thinking, is this going to work for him? Why does this work? Why does this not work? How can I explain this to mom? Is she going to get it? Is she going to, you know, that's what makes this job <laughs> worth going to work for. So I think And not on that, boring. And not boring. Yeah. yeah not I can't boring, imagine being yeah. checked out all day. Yeah. I, I cannot either. imagine. Whew, it's a good thing we love what we do. <laughs> and on that you happy note it's harder than others but yeah you do oops there we go there we All go right, you're well, exactly right continue the topic next week okay talk to you later okay. bye bye, bye.